Welcome to the Places Where We Go podcast. Hello, I'm Julie. And I'm Art. We're the hosts of the Places Where We Go podcast. Join us as we share our travel stories. We'll tell you about where we've been, what we saw, and what we did. We're always looking for a bit of an adventure. Sometimes we travel far. Sometimes we explore the places in our own local backyard. Wherever we go, we'll let you know about the highlights and top tips to help you plan your future adventures. This is the Places Where We Go podcast. Thanks for joining us, and today we're going to take you with us to our most favorite, I think, national park. At least it's the one that we have been to the most. At least a dozen times together. So our first visit there together, we were actually not even married yet. We went with a friend. Yeah, I think this was the first camping trip that you and I ever took. Yes. Was to Sequoia National Park. Mm -hmm. And after that... We just loved it. Yeah. It was just like one of those places where it gave us a new perspective on these national parks itself and the beauty that surrounds them and this park is so majestic and so beautiful. It's just like, I just, we wanted more. We kept coming back yeah. for more and more and more. And I think for us, as far as national parks go, it's one of the closer ones to where we live. So from our home to get there, roughly like four and a half, five hours, and we're in the campground. So that I think that's one of the reasons that we've gone there as many times as we have, but it's just one of these places that, we've returned to over and over again. And at this point in my life, I think in our life, it feels to me it's become a ritual. It's kind of like every year I look forward to Thanksgiving. I look forward to Christmas. I look forward to our annual, almost annual trip to Sequoia. Mm -hmm. And when a year goes by, like last year because of COVID, where we couldn't go because the campgrounds were not open, it just felt like a hole in the year for yeah. me you know no no i i agree it's a place that we find a sense of calmness and there's certain hikes that we take almost every year that we go it's kind of like part of the ritual that we have so it's um missed greatly when, when we, we can't do that yeah so having been there over a dozen times we have a lot of information to share with you about sequoia national park I think by the time we're done covering our experiences there, we will cover at least a dozen things to do, things that we have done. This is a park that spans over 404,000 acres. It was established on September 25th, 1890. And UNESCO designated the areas as Sequoia Kings Canyon Biosphere Reserve back in 1976. And as we're recording this, I'm also looking forward to this because we have a camping trip scheduled there just two weeks from the day that we're recording this. Mm -hmm. So we will be going there yet one more time. And I'm sure when we go there, we're going to do some things that we've done in the past. We'll probably do some camping, resting and relaxing, and we'll probably find at least one thing to do that's going to be new to us. So we'll figure out what that's going to be. The park's located in Central California in Tulare County. It is a pretty decent drive to get up there. 
once you start getting into the three rivers area, if you're taking that route, then you start your climb. So it's an easy drive, mostly highways until you get to the mountainous area. I've never had a drive there, which I didn't enjoy. Yeah. Okay. So as you touched on the driving though, I think one thing for people to know is the route you take is going to be somewhat dependent on what it is that you're driving to get there. Mm -hmm. So just about every time we've been there, we've gone through the southern route, which off of the 99, we'll go through Visalia. And then, as you mentioned, we go through Three Rivers. Three and then, Rivers is the last town yeah. that you go through before you start hitting the mountainous drive area. Yeah. And so that's a way you can get there if you're in a car. However, if you're pulling a trailer or if you have a longer rig that route's not going to work for you. The limitation for RVs taking that southern route is your RV cannot be longer than 22 feet. I see when we were driving up there, I would see certain camper types or those AirPod type RVs that people would be driving up that route, but I wouldn't take anything bigger than that. It can take somewhat of a windy route the highway can get a little narrow you've got some winds and turns and you're going to be hitting oncoming traffic the other way on the other side of the road so it can get a little nerve-wracking so the park does limit the length of your rv driving that particular route so when we go on our upcoming trip we will actually for the first time have a trailer in tow with us which is going to require us to go a different way. So the alternate path for folks who have RVs is you're going to go up the 99 a bit further north, either toward Fresno or there's some um, detours off of the 99, but ultimately you'll end up a bit north of Visalia and then you'll cut over to the park quite a bit north of the Three Rivers area. You'll get there a little bit differently, but you'll be on a road that can accommodate vehicles and trailer combinations that exceed 22 feet. Our trailer alone is over that footage, so we will be going there a totally different way this next time. Taking the drive from the south through Three Rivers If you are pulling an RV, it is inadvisable for you to take that route. The NPS.gov suggests that any vehicle longer than 24 feet not take that drive between the Foothills Visitor Center and the Potwisha Campground, and vehicles longer than 22 feet are not advised on the stretch of road between the Potwisha Campground and the Giant Forest Museum. So as you go further into this highway into uh, the national park, it does get a little bit more precarious. So just be aware of what your vehicle looks like. Check out the roads in advance, what the conditions are, what can accommodate what you have so that you don't end up being stuck and uh, unable to maneuver on. Some of those those roads end up being quite windy. So I think you would have a, a heck of a time if you had too long of a rig. So let's get into the park. And as I think, as I've mentioned, every time we've talked about any national park, I always like to start at the visitor center. You have a few options at Sequoia. So you've got one visitor center at the Lodgepole Campground, which I think is probably the most popular camping ground. It's the one that we've gone to 
I think every time that we've gone to Sequoia, maybe other than one of the first times that we've gone there, I think when we went to... Uh, I think I challenge the word popular. I don't think... I think they have more RV sites and campsites than the other campgrounds there, but I know that the other campgrounds, which we have not camped at, are very well-liked and I don't know if I okay. would say Lodgepole is the most popular. You challenge me? Yeah. <laughs> so in my, in my brain, the one that I go to the most is the most popular. So under that categorization, Lodgepole wins. But yes, I defer to you. Maybe it's not. I don't know. Um, I know the very first time that we went to the park, you and I, before we were married, we did spend some time at Kings Canyon and I think we might have stayed at Cedar Grove. I'm not 100% sure. I believe you're correct. Yeah. So anyways, visitor centers. You've got one at Lodgepole. You have one at the Giant Forest Museum. And there's a couple in Kings Canyon, one in Cedar Grove, I believe one in Grant Grove. So that also brings up something else. When you go to this national park, you actually have two national parks that are right next to each other, Sequoia mm -hmm is its own national park. Kings Canyon is its own separate park. But when you're there, they kind of merge and fuse together. Mm -hmm. In this particular podcast, we are going to be concentrating on those areas that really are within Sequoia National Park. Mm -hmm. So that is going to be our focus just as a, a frame of reference. At the Visitor Center, it's a great place to understand what the current conditions are. If you're going to be out hiking, if there's particular river crossings you've got to be cautious about, that's where you can find out where you can get to with shuttles during your time. So there might be certain places where you can leave your car behind if you're at a campground, hop on a shuttle and get to some of the places we're going to talk about. And you can also make reservations for at least a few of the activities that we're going to talk about throughout the podcast as well. And of course, if you have the National Park Passport, you can get your stamp there, which I highly recommend you do. Yes, one of your favorite things to do. The campgrounds, we were discussing a little bit about that. We mentioned Lodgepole, but there are actually 14 campgrounds within Sequoia National Park. These campgrounds are mostly a first-come, first-serve basis with a maximum of six people per site. You have the Potwisha, the Buckeye Flat, we mentioned Lodgepole, Dorst Creek, very popular campground, Dorst Creek, and certain group campsites that are open for reservation that can accommodate up to 7 to 50 people. I don't think I've ever seen 50 people. Yeah, probably not at Lodgepole. Yeah. 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 The campsites, most of them will provide picnic tables, you get fire grills, they have the bear-proof storage boxes, which are very important to use within Sequoia National Park. Lodgepole has a market, showers, has laundry facilities, it has a restaurant, and it even has a gift shop. A lot of the other first-come-first-serve campgrounds don't have this available. I believe that Dorst Creek does. I'm not sure about uh, Buckeye Flat. Yeah. One thing I'll say about the market at Lodgepole, almost every time we go there, we spend a bit of time before we leave making sure that we've got all the food that we think that we're going to need for our trip. Mm -hmm. We'll pack the cooler up accordingly. But it has uh, been made aware to me on multiple visits that if you make your way up to the Lodgepole area specifically, 
I can't speak for the other campgrounds because we haven't really been there, but that market has just about everything that you would need. So if you forget something, it could be anything from fruit to your s'mores stuff to bottles of wine and beer, water, and all kinds of, you know, canned foods, etc. They've got it. So, you know, the one thing that, that I kind of like about Sequoia is always, on the one hand, it's nice to do all that food planning in advance, but it's nice to know that if you forgot something or if you run out, you can just make your way to the local market there in the campground and odds are you'll be able to keep eating. They have quite a, a variety of foods, a lot of camp type foods. I would definitely prepare to bring your own food because as is always the case, that stuff needs to be shipped up into the park which means it's going to cost you more money. It's well worth it when you're out of something and uh, you want to just run over to that market and get it. So you pay a little bit higher price, but you know th- these are the things we do in life to make a, our life easier, right? Just a little bit more money. RV travelers. You won't find RV hookups within Sequoia National Park. They do not have them. There is a dump station that is located at Lodgepole, at Dorst Creek and at Potwisha Campgrounds. Let's talk about Lodgepole because we're we're kind of really familiar with that one. And it's like it feels like a, a timeshare for, yeah, for, yeah. for us, huh? <laughs> Been there a lot. Yep. Been there quite a bit. We love the camping there. We have done most of our camping in a tent. We have walked and spotted out our favorite spots and we try to get those spots every time. There is a stream that runs through the area. It is absolutely gorgeous. There are times during the year where it's not so full. There's not a lot of snow runoff. There's times where it's just bursting over and it just sounds absolutely beautiful. One other thing I'll throw in about the campgrounds, and I know this for a fact about Lodgepole because we deal with this every single year. I assume it's the same for the other campgrounds that do take reservations, not 100% sure. So this for sure applies to Lodgepole. If you want to make reservations, they take them six months to the day in advance of when you want to go. We do find it helpful to do pre-planning because this is a very popular park. Lots of people want to go to it. So if you know that you want to go to Sequoia National Park, let's say it's Memorial Day weekend. I would mark your calendar six months prior to that. So you're going to be looking at somewhere around the end of November, but six months to the day when you want to arrive, that's when you want to get on recreation.gov and it's either 7 a.m. or 8 a.m. Pacific time. You'd have to go on and check me out between the multiple camping reservations that we're making lately. Some are seven, some are eight, and I get them jumbled in my head, but If you want to make sure that you get a camping reservation, and especially if you're looking for a specific site, that's when you want to be making sure that you're hopping on recreation.gov at the right time, six months to the day, because otherwise you're going to be not as certain of getting the site that you want or even getting a reservation at all. And we're in a time right now where people's vacationing, there's a lot more domestic travel happening. There's a lot more camping happening in this post-COVID world that we're living in. 
So that advanced planning will serve you well. Another thing about Launchpole and its market, not only is there food, but there's also other items for camping. So I remember specifically we broke a propane lantern. We broke the glass and I did not think we were going to be able to find it at the market because it's something that I would think would be harder to find within, you know, a national park. And sure enough, they had that and they have all other kinds of supplies for camping and they have souvenirs and they have clothing. So it's, it's a nice market. It's a very nice market. You can get quite a few things in there. Yeah. There's a little cafe in there. There's some ice cream shop there. So it's one of those things when you're camping, you can treat yourself to something fun by going down to the market in that area down below by the parking lot and find all kinds of fun things to do there. Yeah, I think you might have mentioned this, but just to kind of dive in a little bit deeper or in case you haven't, the other thing that we've taken advantage of in the campground, especially when we've tent camped for multiple days, is there shower facilities there? Mm-hmm. I think there's laundry facilities there's as laundry, well. There's shower, yep. So the showers, if I remember right, they're quarter operated. So you either come up with a whole bunch of quarters or you're going to have to get change up there through the, the machine. But there is that option as well. So that's kind of nice. So it's it's a nice place. And then the last thing I would say about the campground, and I think the pricing is still the same. It's somewhere around $20 or $22 a night. I think about where we stay in Lodgepole. You mentioned the the stream or the river that runs through there. You're in this, one of the most beautiful places I can picture being in for camping. And to have that experience for 20 bucks a night, I feel that this is one of the biggest steals that you can come across. I mean, I would rather be at Sequoia at Lodgepole for 20 bucks a night than Almost any other place I can think of that's a four or five star hotel where I'm going to be paying 300, 400, 500 bucks a night. Mm -hmm. For me, there's like no better place than camping in Sequoia National Park. Well, and you get the perks of it. You're sitting in your campsite and usually within the early morning or sometimes in the evening at twilight, there's deer that just come wandering through the sites and they're just fun to watch. I mean, you never approach, obviously, but... It's just fun, and it's sometimes you see fawn. There are times where we were not at the site at that moment, but we were coming back, and moments before that, a bear had walked through our site. Those are things that, you know, a, a bear is something you're cautious. Obviously, you're very mm-hmm. cautious. But the bears, unfortunately, are used to people, and they will sometimes get close if there's a food opportunity for them. So you got to be real careful with that. But we've been on multiple hiking trails where we've run into animals too we've run into bear we've run into we we didn't literally run into them we keep our distance almost yeah hey so talk talk about food and bear at the campground at every campsite there is a large steel box that's associated with your campsite and this steel box is designed so that bears cannot break into it it's called a bear box And you need to put into that bear box whenever you leave your campsite, or even if you're just sitting around, you have food out, that is something that a bear will be attracted to. So if you're not eating, get that food put away into the bear box. It has a lever, it opens up, you stick it in there. You want to put your ice chest, you want to put any bags of food, 
And you also want to put anything that's scented. So if you have scented deodorant, scented shampoos, scented toothpaste, all these things a bear will be attracted to. So those all have to be put into the bear box. Hey, Julie, so if I have any of those items, am I okay just to take them in my tent with me? Well, you could. I mean, it's your prerogative, but there may be a point during the evening that you're laying down and you hear something outside of your tent. And it could be that bear just saying, boy, I smell something that smells real good. I'm going to go check it out. And he's probably going to try to get in your tent. He could very well get into the tent. On that same note, Julie, if I have some of that stuff that you mentioned, food or scented stuff I want to get out of the way, would you advise me to put it in my car instead? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. I can't tell you how many pictures I've seen of, of cars that have been damaged and broken into by bears. Yep. So the, the point of this part is beware of bear. As our guest on our last episode mentioned, the bear are very quiet. You're not even going to hear them. They can come up out of nowhere. And when they smell stuff, they're going to navigate to it. So be careful of that. So that's a bit of an overview about camping in general, a little deeper dive into Lodgepole Campground. But now that you're in Sequoia National Park, let's start diving into some of the other things there are to do. And probably one, I'm going to, again, make the assumption that this is one of the most popular attractions. I think it is Giant Forest, very close to the Lodgepole Campground. Giant Forest is home to over 2,000 giant sequoia trees. And one of the best places on planet Earth to see trees like this. Mm -hmm. It's an amazing thing to take a stroll among these trees. It's something we do every single time that we go to the park. And it always puts me in perspective when I think about how many years so many of these trees have been alive. They've been here before we were born They were here before our parents and grandparents were born. They were here before America became a country, before the Renaissance, before Christ walked the earth, before the Greek philosophers contemplated the nature of the universe. People come, people go, things happen in the world, but these trees, through all of that, have lived, they continue to live, and it's um, it's just this amazing experience when you're around them and you understand how long they've survived and they continue to survive. It's just amazing. Giant Forest offers lots of activities from scenic drives. You can take a picnic in those areas, nice places to take short walks, longer hikes, and odds are, like you mentioned, you know, deer are plentiful in the park you may spot some wildlife we've even seen I've, i remember seeing bear in mm-hmm. giant forest as well and it's a just great place to do some photography yeah lots of chipmunks lots of birds and within giant forest julie there is a very very special attraction the, one of the most famous trees it's not the tallest tree it's not it the whitest tree it's not even the oldest tree But it is the world's largest tree when you measure it by volume. So it stands 275 feet tall and is over 36 feet in diameter at at its base. And they named this tree after the Civil War General William Tukamash Sherman. Very interesting middle name. Yes, a.k.a. the General Sherman tree. General Sherman. So it is uh, located in one of the largest groves of these mature sequoia trees within the park. And it is 
absolutely remarkable. You have lines of people waiting to take their picture at the General Sherman tree. And you literally have to wait your turn depending on the season. Sometimes you can get there when it's a little bit less people. If you go earlier in the summer season or or maybe late spring, it's not as many people. Mm-hmm. But once you start getting into that summer, there's this place is packed. And if you want to get a photo of the tree, if you have a wide-angle lens, this is a place for that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. The tree... You were talking about the age of some of these trees, and this tree is believed to be 2,300 to 2,700 years old. That's older than Christ. And it's still it's still alive? It's still going? Yeah. So who knows how long it's going to keep going for? So it's really amazing to stand there because it is so massive, and it is so old, and you get a sense of being very small underneath it. It just towers above you. It doesn't look like a beautiful tree with green foliage all over it. Because of its age, it has lost a lot of that type of beauty. But it has its own unbelievable beauty because of its size and how old it is. And you just, it's stunning when you think about how long it's been there compared to your minute time on this earth. So this, I think, is a must-see if you are coming to Sequoia National Park. It is one of those national treasures that we hope will be around for many, many, many more years. It's a very easy hike, very short. If you are on the highway and you just turn on to the parking lot that's right there at General Sherman, There's not a lot of parking there. It's very little parking. The buses also come through there and drop people off all the time. So it's kind of hard to get that parking space. So there's other parking spaces that are up at the top of the giant forest area. And then you hike down into this area. I think there's been a couple of times where we've gone to this by taking the shuttle from Lodge Pole. If you're on the shuttle, it's perfect because it'll drop you off. You go for this really short hike into the giant forest area. General Sherman is not, you won't miss it. It's right there. And and usually there's lots of people around it. Or you could take the longer hike that comes from a different parking area and it has more access to cars, has more spaces you can park at. And when you say a hike, I mean, we're talking about just like a half mile. We're not talking about hours of hiking. It's more of a a walk, I would say, from the park. It's paved and and there's some stairs, but there is a decline getting down to General Sherman. And then when you go back up, you're going to have an incline. Mm -hmm. So if you have any kind of disabilities, definitely take the lower parking lot. A little bit more about General Sherman's sequoia tree. It has the largest branches. They're wider in diameter than most regular tree trunks. The largest of these branches fell down one winter in uh, 2006. And it was recorded at being over 7 feet in diameter and more than 98 feet long. And that was just a branch. That's just a branch. The branch breakage isn't thought to be a sign of poor health. I think it's just one of those natural processes that sequoia trees have so it's not that gentle sherman is sick in any way it's just will happen periodically as nature does its thing one other thing i learned about recently about general sherman or that's been found out 
from the study of General Sherman is they used to think that these trees, as they got older and they got bigger, that they grew more slowly. And they recently have found out that the General Sherman tree is adding volume faster than it ever has. So it's just interesting how it continues to grow and it's not slowing down. It just keeps keeps going and going and going. So super interesting thing to see. Agree, Julie, 100%. It's a must-see in Sequoia National Park. And when you leave the General Sherman tree in that same walking area, there's some very accessible trails that I think most people can take. One of those is going to take you on what is called the Congress Trail. You're going to find this path from the General Sherman tree. And if you just devote another half hour to one hour walking in the grove, you're going to see some nearby additional giant sequoia trees, including those that are on this Congress Trail. And um, again, the walk among these trees, it's not too strenuous. And there is a grove that's called the Congress. There's another grove that's called the Senate. Now, why do they call it a grove? So it's like a cluster of sequoia trees all in one area. And they have designated these by naming them certain things. Mm -hmm. And so they stayed within this theme of Congress. And it's kind of cool because, like, as you mentioned, it's a cluster. So when you're there, you're seeing bunches of these trees massive trees all in this general area the congress trail it's a 2.7 mile round trip walk you're going to be following a paved trail and again just a great exhibit of these beautiful beautiful trees and it's this is one of those places that i I mean, for me, it's a treasure that we have in California. I'm just going to digress here for a second. So often when I hear about people that we know of from other parts of the country that are coming into California, you know, they always ask the question, you know, what should I see? And invariably, for whatever you know reason, I kind of get it, on people's list, they end up with Disneyland. They end up with the Southern California tourist traps. If I was thinking about if somebody was going to come to the state of California and if there was one thing in the state that I would recommend, if you could see like nothing else but one thing, the thing that always comes to the top of my personal list is Sequoia National Park. Mm -hmm. It is beyond amazing. It has been here throughout generation after generation after generation. And the trees that we have here, I don't know of any other place on earth where you have trees like this. All right, let's move on to another site, one of my very favorite. It's called Moro Rock, M-O-R-O. This is an enormous granite dome, and it attracts many visitors to go up to the top of this enormous granite dome for the view. You see the valley below, but you also see the mountain ranges, and it is an immense beautiful, gorgeous view. And it has some markings up on the top of it, once you get to the top of it, that tell you what some of these peaks are in the distance. And it's just absolutely stunning. And it's amazing. To get up to the top of this rock, you gotta, there is some climbing. You got to work for it. You need to be somewhat fit and be able to climb up stairs that are embedded within this granite rock. It is quite an incline. You're going to be constantly going up these stairs. And thank goodness somebody made those stairs. I have no idea who did that. 
but it is absolutely amazing. It's a nice help. Yes, but there are 350 stairs that you're going to be going up. The stairs are somewhat narrow in some of the places, and they have sections with people going both up and down. So you have to be really careful as you pass people because it can get a little tight. And Mm -hmm. anybody that has a fear of heights... That would be me. Yes. (laughs) Will be able to finish this hike. You did. You climbed up this rock even though you had a fear of heights. So it's not something that is not doable for people with a fear of heights. But if you are getting too dizzy or if it's just too strenuous for you as far as anxiety levels are getting too high, then don't do it. Turn around and go back down because once you get to the top, there is some railings, but it is a dome. So there are sheer drops going off of this. Yeah. So I've done it multiple times, at least two or three times. I think we've gone to Morro Rock. As you mentioned, yeah, I do have a fear of heights, of of height phobia, whatever you want to call it. And so there's certain sections where I'm climbing up it that I need to be turned a particular way to not be looking at the overlook that works for me but one of the things that's a complication like you mentioned there's there can be certain parts where you've got traffic going in both ways and so like one party has to kind of step to the side to let the other person either go up or down right and everybody's great about that well they are but the thing that i would also mention is since you have to deal with that and i think this tip usually comes in handy with most national park places if you get to morrow rock if if you know that's something that you want to do if you get there early because a lot of people we've learned are not early birds you're going to have a better chance of getting up getting down with having minimal of that disruption. So like if you get there like first thing in the morning, there's not going to be a whole lot of people who have gone up before you that are going to be coming down as you're going up. So uh, that's my tip. And there is a parking lot there. Again, parking is limited. So they do have a shuttle that will drop you off at Morrow Rock also. If you are going up with children, please keep an eye on your children. Like I said, there are some sheer drop-offs. So you want to keep them in hand. Since you are in the mountains, the air is a bit thinner. If you have any kind of respiratory problem, this might be a little bit difficult for you. Mm -hmm. You know your body. Just listen to your body. And um, if you're able to do it, great. If you can't, that's okay too because there's immense beauty all around this area. So we'll tell you about some other spots that you can go to and enjoy. Like I said, when you get up to the top, you get this beautiful view of the San Joaquin Valley That is to the west, and then you've got the whole mountain ranges in the distance that are just absolutely gorgeous, and there's placards there. You can identify some of the peaks there. And sometimes during the summer, there's actually peregrine falcons that nest on the rock, so you might be able to see those falcons too. There's chipmunks that live up there. You know, you'll see them kind of flitting around and doing their thing, and The shuttles to Morro Rock in the summer are free, and they run from the Giant Forest Museum to Morro Rock parking area. On the weekends, the road closes to private vehicles, and shuttles are the only way that you can get to Morro Rock and Crescent Meadow. They're just trying to keep down some of the traffic in that area. But on the weekdays, it will remain open. Next on our list, Giant Forest Museum. So close to many of the things that we've spoken about so far. It's a nice little museum. 
you probably don't need to spend more than about a half hour there. We did this on our last trip. We mm-hmm. uh, stopped at the museum. Mm-hmm. Fairly small museum. You've got informative details about the sequoia trees that you can learn about in the museum. You can learn about how the forest survives. There's some interesting history shared on the origins of the park, including improvements that have been made over the years as they've learned how to better preserve this natural wonderland. The museum provides a basic introduction to the primary features of giant forest, including the giant sequoias, the meadows throughout here, and what they've also learned about human history that has inhabited the area over the centuries. And the renovation of the historic giant forest market building, which is where the museum is today, is listed on the National Register of Historic Places. The renovation of that market building began in 1999 and was converted to a museum and visitor center in the summer of 2001. And it is this building where I have one of my memories of my first trip to Sequoia. So Mm -hmm. when I was somewhere around eight years old or nine years old, and my parents weren't national park people, but there was like one summer where my dad said, hey, we're going to take a drive up to Sequoia. So up to Sequoia, we went. And where we stayed was close to this particular area. It, It was a different building then, or it looked different, but when we went there last time, there was video footage that they showed that mm-hmm. was either from the 70s or the 60s, but the, the way, what they were showing there, that video footage of what is now that area, that's kind of my memory of my very first trip to mm-hmm. this place. Mm-hmm. And um, I think on part of the video that they have preserved in the museum, they do... I seem to remember they show people doing the things that you're not supposed to do today, which is like, you know, feeding the wildlife. Sometimes, you know, we'll pull up like on the Disney Channel, these old clips of Yellowstone where people actually Mm -hmm. try to feed feed the bear, Mm -hmm. you know, things you, you know, just don't do that. But interesting history to this particular building. Again, you're going to learn about the area. So it's a worthwhile stop. It'll embellish your understanding of what it is that you're seeing. So... This is the start of our dive into Sequoia National Park. Again, as we mentioned, having been here so many times, we have so much to share. We are going to turn this into a two-part episode. So when you join us next time, we're going to talk about more things to do, some other great attractions, hiking opportunities, and more. So join us next time. We hope we've What's your appetite for Sequoia National Park? If you've never been there, put it on your list. It is amazing. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So join us for the next episode because there are some amazing things we want to share with you. But for now, we're just going to say a quick goodbye and thanks for joining us. If you have any comments or info to share with us about travel, you can write us at comments at theplaceswherewego.com. You can also follow us on social media. Right now we're on Twitter and Instagram, both at The Places Where We Go. Thanks for joining us, and we hope to see you at The Places Where We Go. See you next time.